This afternoon, we continue our examination of the Apostles' Creed as it's laid out in the Heidelberg Catechism. And so, in connection with that, we'll be reading together from Matthew 16, beginning at verse 13, and we'll actually be going to verse 23. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 23, after which we will be reading together from Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You'll be able to find Matthew 16 on page 1131 of your pew Bible. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Sorry. So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. So far, the word of God. We'll now read together from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 21, and you'll be able to find that on page 535 of your book of praise. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his Spirit and Word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am, and forever shall remain, a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and every one, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation so far. Beloved in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when you first come to our Lord's Day today, you might wonder why it's put together the way that it is. In the past, Lord's Days, our catechism has been working its way through the Apostles' Creed one line at a time. 
And where there is more than one line put together in the same Lord's Day, they're often closely related. But here we get three subjects that are thrown together under one heading. The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. At first glance, you might not necessarily see the connection right away. And the question may arise, why don't we separate these? Did the authors of the Catechism run out of space? How are they related? Now, we don't need to analyze this to death. We're not exegeting the Catechism the way we would take apart a scripture passage. This is, after all, at the end of the day, a man-made document, even though it is a faithful summary of scripture. But if we're looking at a statement of Christian doctrine that's been confessed in one piece together, the Apostles' Creed, almost since the days of the Apostles themselves, and, and we're confused about why these last three points are thrown together, it can be helpful to listen to the wisdom of those who came before us. Perhaps they're seeing something that we're missing. And indeed, that can be the case here. Because the authors of the Catechism noticed something in Scripture that they thought it was very important to draw our attention to. They saw that these last three points all fall underneath the umbrella of the church. And first, it talks about the origin of the church. Second, the nature of that church. And in the third part, the third question and answer here, it talks about those who make up that church, the kind of people who make up that church in a roundabout way. And so we'll look at how all of this comes out in Matthew 16 today as well, under the following theme, a church of holy and forgiven saints. And we'll see, first of all, the church of Christ, second, how they're given to each other, and third, how they are forgiven sinners. To begin with, let's take a look at our passage today. More specifically, Matthew 16, the verses 16 to 18. We read here, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So as we look at this passage, we ask ourselves, what's so interesting about the language that Jesus uses here? We read Jesus saying, I will build my church. And the way he says it, it almost seems at first glance that the church is something new. Now, it's true that the New Testament church was new in many ways. But it had its roots in the Old Testament. If you were to look at the original Greek, you would find the Greek word ecclesia is used for church here by Jesus Christ. And this isn't a new word. This is a word that was already used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And you can see it found as a synonym for the word synagogue. In some places in the Old Testament, as they're working through it in this Greek translation, you'll find that word synagogue actually translated as synagogue. They transliterate it 
they use the same letters to describe the word in, uh, in Greek, just as we do in English. And in other places, they'll translate it as ecclesia, or church. So why was it used here in our passage then? Jesus was tying in the church to the Old Testament. Because right from the beginning, God had created humanity to be a worshiping community. He would be their God, he declared, and they would be his people. We can already see this right from the beginning in Genesis 1-2, to as man was created and he walked in the garden with God in fellowship and in perfect and beautiful harmony. Now the fall into sin greatly damaged that fellowship, but it was still there. And we see it come out in the scriptures time and time again. In Genesis 4 verse 26, we read how in Seth's day, Seth was the son of Adam, in Seth's day, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now they had spoken to the Lord before. And Seth himself was probably raised on stories of the way that his father, Adam, walked in the Garden of Eden with God. But here today, they gathered together in official worship. They started a pattern that carried from Seth to this very day as God's community created for worship, created to gather together and bring praise to Him. We can see this in Genesis 28, verse 3, coming out again. Jacob's sons are gathered together to be a worshiping community of peoples. And then in Exodus 19, verses 5 to 6, they're described as a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Time and time again, we see God reaffirming the fact that he has made his people into a worshiping community. This church is a church that not only spans the globe, and we find this in the word Catholic of our holy Catholic Christian church. The word Catholic describes how it spans the globe, not connected to Roman Catholicism. So we not only have a church that spans the globe, but we also have one which Jesus pointed out spans history, starting at the beginning of the world to this present day. So what is Jesus saying here when he says, I will build my church? What is he saying here that's new? It's not the church itself that's new. That has its roots already in the Old Testament. But Jesus is highlighting the fact that this new community is founded in him. And this comes out in the confession of Peter where he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The Old Testament could only hope for this. The New Testament now has the person and work of Christ. 
The Old Testament was looking ahead to something you could see in shadows, but something it didn't have in full yet. But here we see that it was Christ who gathered, defended, and preserved his church from the beginning of the world to its end. And it's at this very moment, with the confession of Peter, that the eyes of the disciples are opened. We ourselves share in this. We ourselves have the same foundation. We are gathered together as a church, as an ecclesia of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are part of that church that started with Adam at the beginning of the world to this present day and will continue to the end of days. And so we as well can look and wonder at the existence of this church. We can look and wonder at the words of Paul in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, the Father, chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. He already had this going before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. This was something that was already in the works from the, before the foundation of the world to that present, to that day, to that confession and something that will continue on that foundation to the end of time. Those who put their faith in Christ are joined to this church that spans space and time because we were chosen in love. We are the church of Christ grounded in that confession of Christ. We've been set apart. We are holy. And as church members, we are given to each other. And this brings us to our second point. Peter, having recognized whose church it is, gets this response from Christ. You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is using a wordplay here. The name Peter in Greek is Petros, and the word for rock is Petra. Very similar words there. So he's saying, you are Peter, you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. Jesus was forever impressing on the mind of Peter what his name connected to. Never again would Peter be able to hear someone call out his name without being reminded of this very confession that was made. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's on that rock that he built, Christ will build his church. So first, let's take a look at that rock, the confession of Christ that we together share in. What would be brought to mind by, for Peter in the days that would follow? Well, the very fact that Jesus chose the word rock to connect to this confession implies stability and endurance. This confession and this church is something that will endure and even the gates of hell, even the gates of Hades will not be able to overcome it. Individual churches and even federations may rise and fall. 
We can look at our own Federation's history to see that, where we came from, what we came out of. But the eternal, universal Church of Christ will endure to the end. Believers together around the world share in Him. They share in everything that He bought for us. And we can see this in all of the, all of the articles of the um, Apostles' Creed that precede this. The whole Apostles' Creed that comes before this confession of the Holy Catholic Christian Church express in a beautiful way the promises of what Christ has done, what we hold on to, what unites us. It goes into the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, showing that though we are conceived and born in sin, that is wiped away. It goes through, our suffer- through His suffering, through His death, We ourselves will never be forsaken because Jesus Christ was forsaken. Our death is an entry into eternal life instead of the payment for sin. Goes into his ascension and his session is sitting at the right hand of God. This is all tied together in that word rock. This is what the church is founded on. That church that is spoken of at this, the conclusion of the Apostles' Creed. The second thing we can see here is that Jesus Christ says, I will build my church. The church is Christ's church. He is the one that will do the building. He is the one who brings everyone together. People of every walk, even if he wills it, he brings people from other continents. And we're going to, Lord willing, be able to experience that with Athanase and Denise and their family coming to join us. It's because of his work that we are brought together, his work that we are united. We share nothing in common with many believers around the world apart from the fact that we have one Lord. And yet, that is enough. That is enough to bring us together because it is Christ who is building his church. And he is the one who gives believers to each other. He is the one who unites us. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then those fellow believers who are in the pew beside you are given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ. They are your family under one Father, God himself. They are there because Christ has put them there. What do you think of that? They're there because Christ has put them there. Well, we'll consider that in our final point, forgiven sinners. The fact that we are forgiven sinners is highlighted all the more by the passages, by the passage that we read today. What happened shortly after Peter made this confession, this bold confession? You are Christ. Peter ran into conflict with Christ. He had sinful ambitions. And this shows us as we read through this that people 
who are in the church aren't perfect. We are sinners who have together found a common Savior. King David says it beautifully in Psalm 61 verse 2. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And for us today, the person and work of Jesus is our rock. Every Sunday we gather so that we can be led to him, reminded that everything we need for our salvation is found in him. We confess that again in our Lord's Day here today, saying, I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life, but he will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. Now the very fact that you are living among sinners may be a source of frustration for you. Your fellow church members may hurt you. Our passage shows that this is not something to be this is not something that ought to be unexpected for us. And actually, ultimately, it's a relief for us. Because we can remember that we too are in need of the grace and the forgiveness that Christ grants us. Does this mean that we ought to be victims in the face of what people do to us? No. We hold each other accountable. And Jesus himself expresses this when he immediately confronts Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. He confronts him about his sinful attitude and his walk of life here. His idea of personal, being personally elevated. His idea of an earthly kingdom that will grow. But in order to confront each other in this way, this requires communication. We need to communicate with each other as members of the body of Christ. And we also restore each other as forgiven saints. We see this once again in the life of Peter Time and time again, he was singled out. In our passage here, he was singled out because of the fact that his plans, his plans worked against Christ's plans. His plans involved something that Christ did not have in mind. And he was willing to let his plans overrule the plans of his Lord and Savior. And so he was singled out and rebuked here. He fled in the Garden of Gethsemane after he said he would stand by Jesus Christ even if everybody else ran away. And in the hour of Jesus' greatest loneliness and pain, Peter denied him three times. Beloved, if this kind of thing happened to someone like Jesus because of a fellow believer, we ought not to be surprised if it happens to us. Peter was a believer. P 
Peter was a follower of Christ. And so we can be, take comfort in the fact that knowing that it happened to Christ, it's not something that's unexpected for us. Yet Jesus confronted and forgave him, and at the end of John, we read how he restored him. John 21. So let us seek to do likewise in light of what Jesus Christ has given us. Let us seek to communicate, to recognize the fact that we are surrounded by other sinners, but we are united under one Lord, and he has given us to each other. Let us seek to forgive freely and fully, just as we ourselves were forgiven. And to work together to lead each other to the rock that is higher than I, the rock that is Jesus Christ. Beloved, we are all, we all believe in one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. We are all united under Christ. We are all forgiven sinners. We're not naive about sin in the church, and yet we hold each other accountable. This means that when we do see someone genuinely repenting and asking for forgiveness, we can have the joy of seeing brothers and sisters who have sinned against us restored because they hold to the same Lord and Savior that we do. We can embrace them. And standing in awe of the fact that thanks to our amazing Savior, Jesus Christ, all who believe We can stand in awe of the fact that thanks to this amazing Savior, all who believe have the privilege of being part of this church, this church of holy and forgiven saints. Amen.